This is a Radio 1 91 FM podcast. Joining us now in the studio is OUSA President and of course R1 News alumni Quentin Jane, who is here to talk to us about the Student League campaign regarding the need for a universal study wage. Kia ora Quentin and thank you for coming on the show. Kia ora. thank you for having me. It's great to be back in the booth, it's been a while. <laughs> I'm sure some of our listeners have somewhat of an idea surrounding how the current system of you know, um, student allowance operates, but for those that don't, could you explain how it is currently distributed? Yes, sweet. So the current system, there's kind of two, two schemes in place. You've got the student living loan, which you can borrow, and you've got the student allowance, which is unconditional well, it is conditional, but like it's not money that you borrow. This is money that the government gives to students who are studying full-time to support them while they study. So anyone who studies full-time and receives a student loan is eligible for the living loan, which at the moment is around $300 a week that you would borrow. It's added to your loan. You have to pay it back once you finish studying. Then we have the student allowance scheme. And so this is based on a few different factors, but the primary one is parental income. And basically, if you don't talk to your parents anymore or if your parents earn below a certain amount, you become entitled to the student allowance, which is that income to support you while you study that you don't have to pay back. And so this is there's abatement thresholds there as well. So depending on how much your parents do earn below that threshold, you are eligible for different amounts. And so you might be able to get $50 a week in student allowance, and then you can borrow the remainder of that as a living loan. So you'd be getting $250 a week that you borrow, have to pay back $50 a week, for free. And so this level's remained pretty consistent since the scheme came in back in <laughs> asking pretty rich questions of myself there, but I think it was the late 90s that this scheme came in. Yeah, as you've stated, the current allowance system that is in place for students has a quite a strict criteria that determines whether students of varying backgrounds are eligible for you know, a specific weekly allowance. What are some of the immediate, differ- immediate differences between our current system of allowance and one, the one that has been proposed through this new universal wage model? So what we're proposing with the universal one is that every single student would be entitled to the maximum amount eligible under the student allowance so no one would have to borrow to live and that's the kind of crucial detail that comes with this so rather than the current scheme where you borrow a bunch of money the majority of your student loan ends up comprised of that money you borrow to live under this study wage for all what we're calling it or what you often heard it called previously as a universal student allowance no student would have to borrow to live they would get an income that is guaranteed that would hopefully be enough to cover what you what you need to live and there's no dependency on parental income. It doesn't matter if you're postgrad or undergrad, because the other thing I missed before is postgraduate students aren't eligible for the student allowance at the moment. You only get it if you're undergraduate. It wouldn't matter how much you study, if you're over 24 or under 24. Essentially, if you study, you would be eligible for this. Simple as that. Really clean, really easy. You just know that you can live and study, no questions asked. And both the OUSA and the VUWSA, it's a bit of a mouthful, have identified (laughs) that the importance of tertiary education does not lie with the individual themselves, but their family, the community as a whole, which therefore makes it a multiple-way beneficiary system that creates ripple effects. Could you explain what some of those ripple effects that come from this are? So I think the thing that you have to think about here is when students have to borrow to live, this puts them in debt. Or they end up relying on other channels to support them as well. So there are cultures out there where going into debt is really taboo, and so these students end up relying on their parents to support them. When students go into debt and their income is 
once they leave study and they have that 12% taken from their income to repay their student loans, that makes it harder to support your families. The current system makes tertiary education inaccessible because there are students out there for whom going into debt at 18 years old to study is not an option and they need to be able to go and support their families or not do something that will be a burden on their families and rely on them. And as well, I think this is the conversations that we've been having when we've been talking about the tertiary funding crisis generally, about what is the point in tertiary education? Because the way that it's set up at the moment where we're borrowing to live, where you're borrowing to study, sets it up as I'm there to get a degree for myself. But what we see from tertiary education is that the benefits that come from it are not just for the individual, but they are for the community. It's the community that you build at university. It's the life skills that come with university. It's the social skills that you learn. That kind of way of thinking that comes with university. It's not just that I know all this stuff about chemistry because I did a chemistry major, but it's the way that doing chemistry teaches you to think. It's the way that working with people teaches you to work. The good that comes from university, which is why we should be making it as accessible as possible and why students shouldn't borrow to live. And I think something that something else that um, continually popped up when I was reading up on the topic was that of means testing in relation mm. to amplifying the issue of student poverty and how it improperly represents minority groups. Could you please go into detail about what means testing means in that regard? So means testing is what I talked about at the start where it looks at your parental income or you know your income as well because that the amount you earn affects the amount you can borrow too and so this makes it really inaccessible especially for groups who are right on that boundary so if your parents earn just over that threshold which is not a high threshold from memory as well i think both your parents have to be earning less than minimum wage to <laughs> to make you ineligible for the student allowance and that cap has not adjusted in a while so every year we see fewer and fewer students eligible for the student allowance but it's this it's this threshold that makes it so inaccessible because if both your parents are earning less than minimum wage they're not in a position to support you while you study right as simple as that and so we are locking out huge chunks of students from getting access to study which when you're in a cost of living crisis at the moment as well there is a no-brainer that that's not <laughs> that's not accessible and so when we have these it's kind of just setting a boundary of you have to be you know more well off than this to be able to study and will support you and as well there are ways that the current system means that people who do have wealthy parents or do have lots of assets that they can put in trusts and hide that income can actually get you know the the threshold makes it look like they're below that despite them having a lot of wealth because they're able to put it in these nice packets that only people who do come from those privileged positions can access so you end up with this really broken system where the people who probably need the help the least have the easiest access to it and so i think that with the system that we're proposing with the study wage for all you're kind of removing that gray area where the people who need it the most are missing it and the people who are less likely to need it not all of them it's not only people who don't need it there are people who do deserve the student allowance that do get it and that is good and they should be able to get it but we're saying that the people on those edges who just miss out because of these thresholds should be eligible too yeah, all on the same playing field. Um, an early criticism that I've seen of this propo proposed universal study wage is that if the students gain access to this amount of money on a weekly basis, students will opt to spend it on commodities that aren't essential to their daily life and therefore would basically waste the money instead of using it to assist them through this student poverty struggle. 
How do you respond to that criticism? We hear that with the student loan system already. And I think you hear that about anyone who receives any form of benefit entitlement. But I think the question that you have to ask there is, for one thing, what is necessary? Because the amount that is being proposed, I think we're proposing around $380 a week with this. So by the time you take out the essentials of rent, of power, of internet, of food, that doesn't leave a lot of money for discretionary spending there. And so I think that's already kind of addressing that one part, is students are only going to spend it on what's necessary. But two, I think the question is, why does it matter what students are spending it on? Because when we're talking about making education accessible for the reasons that it is a social good, the good that it provides to Aotearoa, if they choose to go and spend $20 a week from this on a box to have some fun with their mates, that's not a bad thing, because those social elements that come from that are a part of a good. It is part of being a person, is having that social element. If we say that the only money that students should get to study is enough that they can sleep in a house and cold, subsist on food, and that's it, that's not conducive with a healthy lifestyle that is going to enable students to thrive, going to enable students to get the benefits that come from studying. And so that's why I think the criticisms that come, oh, but they might spend it on having fun, Having fun is an important part of being a person. I guess, yeah, going off that, there is that stereotype around, especially students at Otago, that goes into, you know, a drinking culture. You know, we like to indulge in that kind of stuff. But they often use that to dismiss the hardship that a lot of the students mm-hmm. go through. How do we combat that narrative and display the students are also being hit just as hard by the cost of living crisis? I think that it's, you know, when we talk about the students that might be the ones that the ODT likes to snap on St. Patrick's Day or go and take a photo on Castle Street on a Sunday morning, it's worth remembering that that isn't every student. It only takes one student to kick over a recycling bin to make Castle Street look dirty. And they may not even be a student. And so that's a really important narrative that I think we need to stress. And I don't think that students having fun should undermine the hardship that they face because... You are in a situation where one of the ways that you can deal with the hardship that we're facing is to go and have fun, to ignore the realities of the fact that that glass of water beside your bed is freezing. You might go out and get out of your flat to not look at that frozen glass. I think that we need to show the narrative that students do have it tough and also that they have it tough and it's a lot more expensive than it once was. If you were paying $10 a week for rent, you might be able to deal with your flat being a bit crappy, but when you're paying the average rent in North Dunedin, which is $185 a room, you expect better than crap and you deserve better than crap. And as stated throughout the article, students are more than ever dropping out of tertiary education Mm -hmm. simply because they can't afford it. Covered with the issues that have arisen this year with the redundancies at the University of Otago and other universities across the country, just how important is it for this new proposal to be accepted to assist in salvaging our dropping participation in tertiary education? Well, (laughs) I feel like the question kind of answers itself there. It is so incredibly important because when we look at the crisis that is facing the tertiary education system at the moment, when part of that comes from students not returning to study because life's expensive, they've got better opportunities... We need to support students. The problem facing the tertiary education sector is not just with the universities, but it is with the students, because universities need students to be a university. So when the government undertakes this review of the funding models, one thing that we're asking them to do is to broaden this, to include students in this, and include students in the review to support the review to make sure that this is addressed as part of the way that we look at supporting the tertiary sector. Because we need to support students to go to study to support the sector. It's it's all hand in hand. It's all interconnected. You can't 
you know, you can't fix the puzzle if you're missing half the pieces. And coming into an election year, considering that we've already seen the reluctance from the government to put greater funding into the university, instead insisting on wanting to, the university to remain financially independent, can students rely on a Labour government to pursue and support a proposal like this? Or is it a case of supporting a different political entity that will? I'm not going to come and state any one particular political party you should support. Um, but what I will say is that students have the ability to make political parties support policies that would be good for students because there are 400,000 of us across the country. In Dunedin, there's around 20,000 students in the Dunedin electorate. That's a third of the students. If we all voted for one candidate, they'd win, right? It's it's not that we shouldn't not rely on one party, but I think we need to show all parties how important it is to support students who make up, what's that, about 8% of Aotearoa are considered a tertiary student. And I think that that's the real crucial thing, is that we need to show them what good this would do, the flow-on effects. Because, yes, it's an expensive policy, but it would have such drastic such a good drastic effect if that makes sense on how this would affect it so i think it's it's an ongoing conversation worth having labor hasn't released their policies yet so there's you know every potential that it's in there (laughs) not necessarily holding out hope that this particular policy is in there because we are asking a lot but you have to ask a lot to get a lot um but i think that all parties should be adopting this because of the good that it would bring to aotearoa Great. Once again, Quentin, thank you so much for coming in and joining us in the studio to talk about this, and uh, we really appreciate it. I love being in here anytime. Thanks for listening to Radio 191 FM podcast. All of our content lives online at r1.co.nz.